Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Timothy 4, or sorry guys, 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16. That's page 1178 in the Black Pew Bible. Again, that's 1178 in the Black Pew Bible. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. You turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's Seth read our, that's our teaching text. We typically, not always, but more, more times than not, we read uh, our, our teaching text. 1 Timothy chapter 3, page 1178 in the Black Pew Bible. As uh, you're turning there, I'm going to uh, invite our children, second grade and under, uh, to come and line up here at the door. And we are uh, going to let you go to Children's Church. New grandparents are going to teach today. We are uh, so thankful for so many here that are going to hear the gospel and be taught the Word of God this morning. Appreciate y'all. I want to give a report. Uh, we didn't do a missions moment formally, but I, I want to do one now. Uh, we have a if you're visiting with us, we have a, a partnership with a church in Romania, Liberty Baptist Church in Tigamorish. And on Wednesday night, we're starting back our beaver kit that's been announced. We'll feed the children at 6 o'clock. It's free. We feed them at 6. At 6.30, they go to class. At 6.30, the adults eat. It's $5 a play. And what we do is that money pays for all the food for the children, for the adults, but also any left over, which they're, they're usually are some dollars left over, we, we give to this mission's uh, purpose of uh, sending money to uh, this church in, in Romania, and they do a camp. They take kids in their city who are not churched for the most part, and they take them to the mountains, and they do a camp. And so I'm going to give a report about that. We're going to have a video here in a few weeks, but the camp was just over. And Niku, Pastor Niku, says, we had 128 kids, junior high and senior high participants, and 50 volunteers in the two weeks of camp. Camp was great. Maybe two of the best weeks of camp we've ever had. They've been doing this a long time. If you, and, and just to let you know, we helped them start the camp, build the camp. We fund the camp. We're a big part of this camp. And so he said, it, it, not that it didn't have challenges, but we saw many answers to prayer. And just to share a few, he writes, a great staff who was truly there to serve. It was probably the strongest staff we've ever seen. And this is for the first time ever was was fully staffed by their church people who have a lot of them are campers and now they're they're giving and they're serving um, number two god working in the lives of campers from church kids who came back to the lord and gave their lives uh, to uh, him to former campers who were sent home in previous years from camp who had a great time this year and want to come to church god worked in campers lives number three god worked in the lives of our staff too we saw many stretched 
some in scary new roles, but they saw the faithfulness of God and His blessing when we obey. Now they've seen God work. They want more, which is always our prayer. And number four, about 20 teens in junior high are signed up to start coming to youth group in the fall. Pray that they follow through. And so that's just a report from Pastor Niku there in Tigamore, and we are really, really thankful uh, for their great two weeks and look forward to hearing more about that. Let's pray and we're going to get started this morning. Father, we acknowledge that we are needy people and we need uh, to be taught this morning from your inspired and errant infallible word. And you do make the wise, uh, you take the, the, the simple things and, and make us wise. And so we ask you to do that even as we study this morning. We're thankful for all that, that's here, for those that are part of our church family, for those visiting. We're so thankful. Providentially, you brought people to hear your word being taught. So I ask that you would help me to have clarity of thought and we would leave encouraged that, Lord, the lost would leave saved and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a uh, young child and getting somewhat sassy, I remember my grandparents telling me that if I didn't straighten up and mind my manners, the Santa Claus wasn't going to come and see me. And uh, that always got their desired response. I would always stop whatever it was they did not want me to do. And the reason that my behavior changed was because I believed what they said was true. What I believed affected and determined my behavior. Forty years older now, but, I, but still what I believe affects my behavior. I have a, a friend who... Uh, it's not a Christian and we sometimes talk about politics and he believes the economy is the most important issue facing our country today I think other issues are more important uh, and this affects how we vote I vote for candidates who have the same ethical moral standards that I do but because I believe this is more important than economics or even national defense but my buddy he he believes the economy is healthy will allow all these other, what he thinks is of lesser important issues to fall into place. Our, our conduct is determined by our beliefs. That's true today, and it was true in Timothy's day as well. And Paul, we are in the middle of this letter. Paul wrote to his child in the faith, Timothy. Paul has went to Macedonia, and he's left Timothy in Ephesus to... to help with the church there and he's warned Timothy already in chapter 1 about false teachers who were having influence in the church he gave him instructions on prayer how to set up prayer time in the church and the importance of that the role of women in the in uh, chapter 2 we also in chapter 3 received instruction about qualifications of a, a pastor and uh, deacons and much like John did in his gospel, John chapter 20, verse 31, he gives a purpose statement for the book. And you see this also in Mark's gospel in chapter 1, verse 1. We see that here in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The purpose statement, why we have this letter. So let's look at that. That's our first point this morning, First Timothy's purpose statement in verse 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, Paul writes. But I'm writing these things to you so that if, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. 
So Paul wants to go to Ephesus. He wants to go back there. He spent a lot of time there if you read the book of Acts. Anytime you open up a letter written by Paul, always go back to the book of Acts to see the, the background of what happened when he started the church there. But he says he, he, he wants them to know how to conduct themselves or how to behave in the household of God. Now think about that. He writes this letter so Timothy can instruct the Ephesian believers how they should behave in God's family. Now that you're a part of God's family, this is how you ought to live. This is how your worship should look like. This is how you should structure your church. This is how the church should be organized. Now, think about it. We don't just randomly come on Sunday morning and just show up and just do something. I mean, this morning, Morgan and I get here very early, start getting organized. Sarah will come in. She'll bring donuts about 8. Rodney gets here about that time. He'll make coffee. They start putting in all the information that Morgan and I have sent to them about the worship service. There's practice going on. There's uh, the sign out front. The letters are changed. There's a lot going on just so we can do this. And I know for some of you, hey, you show up and you show up about 1020 and, and we have worship and you leave about 12, but there's a whole lot going on starting about 530 in the morning. Just the structure and getting things done for worship. But there's a lot goes on throughout the week, isn't it? I mean, think about your own family. How's your family, how's things organized in your home? It's not just like, ah, oh, y'all just do your thing and it all gets done. No, there's somebody that pays the bills. Phil, see, who pays the bills in your family? <coughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Cindy pays the bills. Yeah, that's how, that's how, they, that's how they function in their household, right? Yeah, somebody pays the bills, right? Somebody takes care of the, who cuts the grass, somebody cuts the grass, right? Somebody takes care of this, somebody takes care of that. It's, we all have our own thing in our family. Everybody has their chores, right? Seth has things to do. He takes care of, he goes to the barn every day. He takes care of all the animals. That's his deal. He takes the garbage out. We don't say, hey, who's, 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 who's getting the garbage? No, it's, it's no. Hey, garbage is falling in the floor. So Seth knows that's his deal, right? Anna Gray, she's, a, she's uh, taking on a lot of cooking. Jenny's taught her how to cook, and she, she likes to cook, and she's doing a lot of cooking. Who makes the tea in our house? Claire Beth, she makes the tea. That's just what we do. But there's other things, too, you know, like we take our shoes off. We lived, over, we lived in Asia for a while, so we take our shoes off. You should ought to try that if you want to keep a clean house. It, it really helps. But we take our shoes off when we come in. We don't uh, come from the back of the house and leave all the lights on. You know, it's one of those deals. Who's here? Somebody's here. Nobody's here, Daddy. Yeah, there better be somebody here because there's lights on in the back. <laughs> Ain't no reason wasting money, you know. That's just how we roll. You, you might, you know, our lights stay on all day. We even leave, on some, leave them on at night sometimes. You know, we forget. But that, that's not how we roll in our house. You know, there's, there's, there's all kind of rules and there's organization to your home. The last one up makes the bed. I came up with that one. pretty good. Last one I make the bed. I mean, about 99.9% of the time I'm the first one up, so I don't have to make a bed, but pretty good rule. Jenny likes it too. Right? Uh, but we all have different rules. And in your mind, you've got these things going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we do it. Everybody has, you're organized. Structured. 
And there's purpose to it, right? There's purpose to it. What well, the same is true in God's household, in the church. We can, we can differ on some things. In uh, church poly, there's a lot of ways to do that. There's a lot of ways to do a lot of things in the church. But there has to be some structure and some organization. And so that's what Timothy is writing, instructing on. Okay, who's going to teach? Who's going to pastor? Who's going to shepherd? Well, it's not everybody can do that. Who's going to be a deacon? Who's going to handle those physical needs of the church? Well, not everybody can hold that position either. There's some structure and organization to it, and there's purpose in it. That prayer, that prayer should be a part of the church. Let's pray. Let's pray for those in authority so the gospel can go out and, and people can be changed. What about women? What are their roles? Are they the same as men? Are there a difference in men and women's roles? Yeah, there's, there's structure and this is who does what and how. And yeah, it's important. And that leads us to our second point. The church has order so that it can be the guardian and protector of truth. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is the family of the living God who embraces, safeguards, protects, proclaims truth. Notice the, the words used to describe the church in verse 15. It is the household of God. Think about the, the Old Testament. Um, during the Old Testament time period, God was seen to be living in a home which was either a tent or later on a, a permanent structure, a tabernacle or the temple. And that, that, that set in the middle of God's people. If you remember after the book of Numbers, as they're traveling from Egypt to the promised land, God organized them according to trials. But in the very center, what was in the center of their encampment, the tent of meeting, the mobile tabernacle, because that was the physical reminder of the presence of God. But what did they do? They went to the tent of meeting to have fellowship with the Lord. In fact, Exodus 29, 31, God Himself, there I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. And God filled it with the, His manifest presence, the Shekinah glory. He would move them by a, a pillar of fire a cloud, that was the manifest presence of the Lord they could see. And when it was time for them to move encampments, he would, he would move them by such a way. But Ezekiel, even during that time, but Ezekiel the prophet, he informed the Israelites of a, a new covenant to come. Ezekiel 37, 27, My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God planned to come very close and His home would be in their actual neighborhood. Now in the Old Testament, they would uh, no one would have ever imagined how close the Lord would come. But John, speaking of the coming of the Son of God into the world, tells us the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God the Son pitched His tent in our world. Sharing a home with a family. Falling asleep on a boat with His Friends, eating and drinking with friends in an upper room 
During the time Jesus walked this earth, you didn't have to go to the temple any longer to meet with God. You went to the Lord Jesus. You could see Him face to face. Jesus in John 14, 9-10 says, I've been with you so long. Do you still not know Me, Philip? Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip is asking Him, I want to see the Lord. Do you not believe that I... I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus revealed himself to the world by taking on flesh and dwelling among sinners. John 14, 23. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus took on flesh and he, of course, went to the cross to die for sinners. And he died this terrible death where the Father poured out his wrath upon the Son. His Son was crucified to death. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave. And then 40 some odd days later, he ascended into heaven. Jesus tells his disciples to, before he ascends into heaven, he says, stay here in Jerusalem until the Comforter comes. And we know the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. And that was prophesied. That was taught about by Stephen. He's preaching to the Sanhedrin. And he tells them, the Most High does not live in homes made by men right before they stoned him to death. We are now living in the new covenant. After the promise of the Holy Spirit, we believers have God living in us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But what can get lost here in the very center of that text is but Christ who lives in me. Now in the New Covenant, us believers, we have the God who once lived in a tabernacle, then lived among his people walking in the flesh as Christ walked the, the earth. But now we have the Spirit of Christ who lives in us. We are indwelt by the Lord. The household of God. He lives with us. Next we see the church of the living God. Church. What does church mean? It means called out ones. If you're a part of the church, you are the called out one. We are called out of the world to be salt and light. To testify to God's goodness. To point people to Him. Are you, are you called out? If you, if, you're, if you are a believer, you're the called out one. And does your life, does my life reflect that called out designation? And the church is not the church of the dead, the church is not the church of a, an inactive God like the ones they served in Ephesus. 
If you go back to Acts chapter 19, verse 24 and 27, the Lord used Paul greatly. In Ephesus, he stayed there several years. And the Lord used him in such a way that the idol makers there were going out of business. And one of those silversmiths, Demetrius, he led a riot because folks um, were losing interest in the, the God that they worshiped there. They had a great temple, Artemis. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. And there is danger, he says, not only that the trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be disposed from her magnificence, she in whom all uh, Asia and the world worship. There was a impact Paul had on the world as he shared the gospel and people were losing interest in the dead gods of the idols there, the dead god Artemis, Diana she's also called and they start started to turn towards the living God we just finished studying through the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5 Nebuchadnezzar who had been humbled by the Lord who came to faith and, 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 and loved God his it said his son, it's actually his grandson, Belshazzar, if you remember the writing on the wall. Uh, this text is uh, right before that, chapter 5 of Daniel, verse 22 and 23. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Knew, knowing all this is knowing how Nebuchadnezzar was humble, who eventually yielded to the Lord. And, but, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. Remember, he brought out the those golden goblets that, that were used in worship in Jerusalem. They had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon and he had taken those out and having a big party with them, right? You and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone which do not see, they do not hear, they do not know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Honoring these dead gods when the living God you fail to honor. And some in Ephesus, they worship gods that couldn't see. And they're ignoring the God who sees all. The idols that they were giving to and serving but could never give in return, could never take the place of the living God who gives us all good things for our enjoyment. Christians make up the church of the living God. Notice also that the church is the pillar and buttress of truth. And, and the residents there in Ephesus, they understood this as well because they had this huge temple. It had 127 pillars around this temple and some of them were, were studded with jewels, some of them were overlaid with gold, but they understand this idea of pillars. They were supposed to support the temple and lift it up high in order to display the temple so that all the world could see it and admire it. Well, the church is to lift up the truth in order to display it for all to see. And, and it's interesting, there's this word buttress. Buttress is kind of like foundation. So we, we as the church, we stand on truth, right? We're going to get to that in just a moment. What is the truth that we actually believe? But we stand on truth, right? It's a foundation that we stand on. But we also support the truth with our lives and with our voices. So here you have the church who's standing on the truth, on this foundation. 
but also supporting the truth. There's a, we're a pillar and support of the truth, and that's what the church does. Think about truth. We know that Christ is the truth. Jesus in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? John 17, 17, his high priest, one of his high priest's prayers, he praying for his disciples, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So the church, the called out ones who have gone and dwelling them was the one standing on truth and standing under truth, right? Holding truth steadily against the storms of unbelief. That's what Timothy was to do in Ephesus. That's what Luther did in Germany during the time of the Reformation. That's what John Bunyan did in England the next century. And Jonathan Edwards did it here in America the following century. We stand on the truth, but we support the truth. And we're also growing in the truth, aren't we? That's why we have Wednesday night, right? We start Wednesday night and we're growing in the truth. We have Bible study for children and for students and for adults. And we come and we grow and we learn so we can know how to better to support the truth and proclaim the truth. We are display the truth, aren't we? We're people of the truth. Christians are the ones who we ought to be the experts on a lot of things. I mean, we ought to be the one in the office that people come to when they, they want to talk about heaven, hell, about women, about sex, about social issues. Yeah, we're, we're the, we should be the experts because we have the truth, right? People shouldn't have to go to their whoever to learn about life because we have the truth. Now it's, it's not... It used to be like a you go to the talk show people, right? Or, um, now it's people are YouTube and Googling it, right, on the internet. Yeah, they all come to us. We we have the truth and we can share truth, right? As I said earlier, what, what one believes determines how one behaves. And here we, we don't see doctrinal qualifications. Think about last week, the last two weeks. We talked about pastors, elders. And we talk about deacons. There was no doctrinal qualification. Hey, you must believe this and you must embrace this. But we know that, that pastors and deacons, they, they, they're to manage their household well, remember? They're to be um, respectable. They're to be gentle. But what, what must they believe? We were, we're not really told that until we get here in verse 16. We were given this early hymn. What they, pastors, elders, deacons are to believe, but also for us, right? Anybody that's a part of the church, what are we to believe? Notice it says, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And it goes on, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So we have this mystery of godliness. Think about mysteries. Mysteries are something that's concealed, that you can't see that's eventually revealed. Right? Think about mysteries in the Greek world. They're kind of characterized by these religious rites, these ceremonies practiced by some in order to enter into some secret society. Think about like fraternities and sororities here at college campuses. They have these, these things that you go through, these rites that you go through, and you learn this secret information that nobody else knows. You have handshakes, you have all these things that, that you're... It's made privy to you, but not to other people. And so a mystery is what's, what's been 
concealed is now revealed. But it's not revealed to everybody, is it? Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty five. He's praying, you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants, to little children. So there's this mystery, there's this revealing of truth. It's for all to see, but not all will understand, not all will see, right? It was God's redemptive plan, which is revealed in Jesus, it was once hidden, but now it's being revealed, but it isn't revealed to every single person. We pray that it will be. Right? That's what we pray for our lost people. Help open their eyes. Help them see their sin. Help them be broken over their sin. And help them see you for who you really are. And that leads us to our third point. Truth, well, this is what the church believes. And we were given this hymn, not sure where it came from, uh, how it was... Uh, passed on, but there's a hymn here. It's the mystery of the gospel, right? It's been revealed, and, and Jesus reveals God the Father to us. And it, it's quite simple. He was manifest in the flesh, referring to Christ's incarnation. We've mentioned that already previously. John 1 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his. Glory. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty mysterious, isn't it? You have this figure who becomes a man. We say he is the, he's God fully, but he's also a man fully. That's kind of mysterious. Explain that to your coworker. Well, and I, I could run through a lot of things of how it's been described in throughout church history, but... It's still a mystery. Yeah, he's God, fully. He's man, fully. You know, you get the, you know, when you make a funny noise. We, 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 I've hunted my entire life. We always had a bunch of dogs. But you make this funny noise, and what do dogs do? You kind of turn their head like that. Yeah, yeah, your coworker does the same thing. You start explaining this, try to explain it. You know, kind of like, hmm. Yes, yeah, mysterious, but we know it to be true, right? Because we, the church, has been revealed to us. Yeah, that's true. We embrace it. Don't understand it exactly. Can't explain it fully. He's God, but he became a man. He took on flesh. He was born in Bethlehem, raised by Mary and Joseph. Lived for a time in Nazareth. I mean, in, in Egypt, and then moved to Nazareth. Yeah. He was a Nazarene. He was manifest in the flesh. Was vindicated by the Spirit. Jesus was condemned as a criminal by the religious leaders of His day. They did not believe He was who He said He was. He's not the Messiah, they said. He can't be. And they put Him on a cross. They put Him to death in the most deprecating way they could. Oh yeah, he was on the cross. And we hear that. It's just kind of like, kind of like yeah, he was put on the cross. Well, what does that mean? Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, the Old Testament taught, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. It's not coincidence that Jesus was crucified. No, he's put on the cross because he's put on the cross, you're cursed. 
what the religious leaders do is that you're not the Messiah. In fact, we're going to show you we're putting you on the tree. You're not loved by God. You're cursed by God. But here it says that he's vindicated by the Spirit. So what did Jesus' resurrection do? It vindicated who he was. Who can, who can rise from the dead? Who could be in the grave three days and live? God. You're guilty. You're a liar. You're not the Messiah. You're a pretender. And when he reveals himself to his disciples, what is he doing? He's saying, no, they're wrong. And I am who I said I am. Amen. Vindicated him. Proved his innocence. Amen. His claim to be God was demonstrated and validated. Yeah, he was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. Think about Jesus as he's being falsely accused. The Bible tells us in Matthew 26, 12 legions, you know how many legions are? That's a lot. 12 legions of angels stood by and they wait for the signal to go and stop man's plot to eradicate Jesus from the earth. And what do they do? They watched and they watched and Jesus was crucified to death and they continued to watch. But after the Father, after three days, the Father poured out His wrath upon the Son. Jesus paid for our sin. These same angels, they witnessed His resurrection. In fact, they're the first ones to testify to it. Matthew 28, verse 5 and 6. The women, remember, they came to the tomb and it's rolled away and they're not sure what to do. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for He has risen, as He said. Come, see the place where He lay. See, all the things that happened around the, the resurrection, Jesus said all those things are going to take place. In fact, you remember He's headed, he, he was determined, He's headed to Jerusalem, and they're saying, no, no, don't go, don't go. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's going there. And He's telling these disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be put to death. Then the next time, a little more information. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'll be handed over to the Gentiles, and I'm going to be put to death. Then more information. I'm going to be arrested, handed over to the Gentiles, put to death, but then I'm going to rise on the third day. All the things Jesus said he was going to do, he actually did. Yeah, he, he is who he said he was. He's vindicated, and he's these angels bear witness to the fact that he rose from the dead. It says he's proclaimed among the nations. Think about Jesus. Before he ascended, those 40 some odd days, he walked the earth. He commanded his disciples to do what? Matthew 28. Go and make disciples, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I've taught you. And hey, guess what? You're not on your own. I'm going with you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to help you do this. Yeah, the disciples, they had went out. And they could. And, and by the time this letter is being written to Timothy, they continue, right, to go out and proclaim the gospel. You read the book of Acts. It's the history of the church. What happened after Jesus ascended? We see it in the book of Acts. Jews being saved. Gentiles being saved. And that continues, right? There's a, the providence of God. There's a persecution. And, and the, the apostles are scattered. 
so that the gospel can, can, can go forth. And you see the Gentiles, more and more Gentiles embracing the gospel, being saved. And the gospel continues to go forth though, to hard places, to land on the ears of people that's never heard it before. Believed on in the world. You know, these missionary activities increased. You know, God's a missionary God. Calling His people to go out and share the, the good news. Share this hymn with those who need to hear it. Think about it. Even as it, you, know, you think the, the the world and all that's happening in the world is doom and gloom and it is a lot of terrible things. The enemy, the devil is the prince of the world. And that's true. And we see a lot of hurt. I see hurt every week. Counseling people, some in our church, some out of our church families. Ugh, hurt. Heartache. It's terrible. A lot of terrible things going on. But you know what? The gospel's going forth and people are being saved every day. And people that have never heard the gospel are hearing the gospel. Churches that, no churches in specific cities and now there's churches there and there's people who are, and that's what we do as a, as a Southern Baptist church, right? We, we pull our money together and we send people out. And I pray every day, about every day, I pray that some of our little children, those, those children there in children's church, I'm praying that God will raise them up and, and send some of them out to hard places. Our students, I pray. Send them out. Send them a hard place. A hundred years ago, one in 32 embraced Christianity in the world. Now one in nine do. Now most of the world's lost. Most of the world's lost. 150,000 people dying every day that's never heard the gospel. Lostness is everywhere. But what, what do we see? Some of these people, people groups that don't have a gospel witness, there's no believers among them, little by little, right, making inroads, and some of these people are coming to faith, and there's churches being planted, there's pastors being trained. Sermons are being preached in their own language. Bibles being translated, being published and distributed. Where before people never had it before. Yeah, is Islam growing faster than Christianity? Yeah. People in our, in our country becoming more and more irreligious? Yep. But the gospel goes forward. That's why we send money to Liberty Baptist Church in Tickamore, Romania, so they can crowd those kids up, invite them, and take them to the mountains. And, and teach them about Jesus for a week. And God is saving people all over the world. Jesus is being believed on in the world. It says he was taken up in glory. After he was resurrected, Christ ascended into heaven to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and 33. This is Peter, part of Peter's sermon. Right? day of Pentecost. This Jesus God raised up and that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's exalted at the right hand of God, ascended into heaven to take His rightful place because His work was finished. So this hymn, it contains 
doctrines that one must believe in order to be a pastor, in order to be a deacon. We saw that the last few weeks. But also in order to be a part of the church. These doctrines are the theological basis for what comes before the first three chapters and also what comes after. These doctrines, they drive everything we do. These beliefs determine our behavior. Let's think about it for a second, Mr. Bobby. Why do you go to work and you do a, a good job at your, at, at, when you go to work? Why do you work and do your job well? Well, it's because Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Why do we ask forgiveness at work when we sin against another employee? We're in the flesh. It's hot. It's 100 degrees. And I'm hot and I'm irritable and I'm ready to go home. And I think my co-worker's a knucklehead and I tell them so in the heat of the moment. And, but we go back humbly and ask forgiveness. Why do we do that? Because Jesus, the incarnate Lord, was vindicated by the Spirit. Why do we get up on Sunday morning? day we could sleep in, why do we get up and we come to church at 8 o'clock and turn on the computer and get the, all the stuff turned on and get ready for worship? Why do we do that? Because Christ, after His resurrected, after He resurrected, was seen by the angels. Why do we sacrifice and and save and scrimp and do without so we can give money to the church. Because Christ, after He was resurrected, was proclaimed among the nations. Why don't we pray for our, our lost co-workers and look for opportunities to share with them? Because Jesus is believed on in the world. Yeah. We live our lives the way we live our lives because we believe that Jesus is, the, is God's Son who was born, who lived and died so that we could know the Father. We believe He rose on the third day and ascended into heaven. We believe that He was preached to the nations and many are surrendering their lives even today to the Lord Jesus. We don't understand everything. We can't put it all together. And there's a lot of mysterious things we, we can't explain completely. Just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, right? It's a great verse. For now in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, we, we don't know everything. We can't explain it all perfectly, but... We do know what's important. These basic doctrines or confessions of the Christian faith, that drives us. That's why we show up to work on time. That's why we work us into the Lord. That's why we do a good job. That's why we make sure that the teeth that I'm cleaning out are doing really well. I make sure I get all the paperwork in time that, that I know my boss wants me to get in. That's why I, I, I do my homework well. That's why I prepare diligently for, for class that I'm going to teach tomorrow. Yeah, all those things. Why? Because, because of these doctrines.
the Lord wants us to, as His church, to catch a vision of the, the importance of the church and its role in revealing Him to the nations. David Watson, he wrote a book called I Believe in the Church. and In that book he writes, it is the church that is willing to die to worldly standards that will know the power of Christ's resurrection. It may be envied for its depths of loving relationships or for its spontaneous joy. It may be hated and persecuted for its revolutionary lifestyle, exposing the hollow values and destructive selfishness of the society it seeks to serve. But it certainly cannot be ignored. When God reigns among His people, they become a city set on a hill and cannot be hidden. All because we embrace these truths. So let's let the truths of the gospel empower us this week to love and the good deeds. Students, you ought to be the most well-behaved, hardest-working students in your class. You're making a difference. You are. I know I hear stories, and we're praying that you do. We pray daily that you'll deny self and you'll be a good example. Church, you ought to be the, the most diligent, hardworking person on your shift. You ought to work in a way that pleases the Lord and gets people's attention. Your boss should be able to trust you wholeheartedly because you time and time again have been honest about everything. Yeah. That's a result of these, us embracing these truths. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. We're going to have a time of response, a time of dedication, a time of commitment. And we're going to pray and ask the Lord to, to help us. We hear the Word being taught, and we need to be able to, to obey the Word being taught. Let's pray. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up. We're going to have a, a benediction song. Why don't we all just stand, and we'll pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us obey. You know, Father, we acknowledge You. You've written Your Word. You've inspired the Apostle Paul, and he's written to Timothy and and we've been studying and reading this letter. We've learning something today about your purpose in writing this letter through Paul. And we, we understand the, the mystery of the gospel and we read it. But Father, we will be empowered once again by it. And there's some here that, Father, in our, a part of our church family, and maybe they've been complacent, a little cold, a little apathetic, kind of caught up in life and, and their own thing and temporal things and work and relationships and they have in some ways forsaken their first love. And pray that you would allow the, these doctrines, these truths about Christ to invigorate them, empower them to once again loving you and living for you. Father, may you empower us as a church to go out these doors and to love people well, to live for your glory, to have integrity and to work hard and, and to say I'm sorry and to be honest. All those things. 
Father, may you take these truths, the gospel, and use it to, to break hearts of students who've been disrespectful and dishonoring to their parents and to their teachers. Father, for those who are looking at pornography and sinning against their spouse, Father, I pray that you would take this mysterious gospel, bring conviction on our heart and empower them to, to be obedient and being pure with their eyes and with their hearts. Father, for those that are in marriages that are not going well and they're tempted to walk out and to leave and to look for greener pastures, Father, take this gospel. Father, may you bring conviction and, and, and give them a desire to obey you and to be faithful. Father, we all have so many struggles in life. Use this gospel to empower your church to being faithful to you. Maybe you're a believer. You just need to be, you need to repent of something. We've had confession time that you were daydreaming about something else during that time. Maybe now is the time for you to repent and tell the Lord that you're, you've been wrong and you're ready to obey Him and you ask for grace to, to do that. And maybe there's some lost people, Father, that are here. Maybe they're kids. Maybe there's students or maybe there's adults here who they might have thought they're Christian at one time, but they recognize now that they, they're not the called out ones. Their life cannot be characterized being, by being called out by you. Father, open eyes. Open the lost eyes. Open their eyes to see their sin, to see their need for you. Father, may you grant them faith and repentance. Save them today. If you're here and you're, you're lost, but you want to be saved, I encourage you to cry to the Lord and tell Him something like this. Tell Him, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner and I've rebelled against you. And I deserve hell and your wrath and your punishment. I recognize that Jesus died on the cross for me. and He rose from the dead on the third day for me so that I could know you and be forgiven. And I want to be forgiven. Maybe if you're lost, you could tell the Lord that. God, I'm wrong. I, I want to be forgiven. Jesus died for me. I'm trusting that he died for me and he rose on the dead, rose from the dead on the third day so that I could be made right. And I want to be made right today. God, make me right. I know Jesus died for me and I want to live for him. I'm turning from my sinful ways and I want to live for Jesus. If that's you, I want you to cry to the Lord. Just tell the Lord that. Father, it's been a good day just to be here, to fellowship, to be together. We, we, although we have some out there sick with COVID and other things, it is so good just to be back together again for the most part. And we ask you would empower your church to leave these doors and to love well and to live well. Allow the gospel, allow it to ring loud in our ears that we'd be empowered by it. We're thankful. Thank for our church. Thank for the love we have for one another. 
Father, for those that are here that are visiting, may you place them where you want them. If it's here at Beaver, may you jump in and we love them and use us to help them grow. And if it's not, if it's somewhere else, just lead them, direct them by your spirit to where they should go. But let's pray that you would help them find a good church home. Thank you for Jesus who lived for us and died for us and rose for us that we could know you, that we sinful people could call you Father. A sinful people could call a holy God Father. We're so thankful for Jesus who made this possible. You have been so good to us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this song. This is a song we, we are called to worship. It's just a, a creed of what we believe. And it's, it's this uh, verse uh, uh, 14 through 16, really. We're going to sing that, and that's going to be our benediction, and we'll be dismissed. But we are glad you're here. Wednesday night. Let me look at a church, church family. If you don't have something to do Wednesday night, you ought to come. Kids eat at 6. If you're an adult, we eat at 6.30. Five bucks for a plate. You're like, man, five dollars. It's going to be good food, guaranteed. I'll pay you. I'll buy your dinner Wednesday night. And then we're going to study. Uh, the adults are going to study at 7. The chronological story of the New Testament. Uh, anybody tell me the story? Starting in uh, with uh, John the Baptist uh, going to the... New heaven, new earth. Anybody, anybody right now want to stand up in five minutes and tell me that story? Hey, we all got something to learn. Come Wednesday night, we'll start learning that. In about two months, three months, uh, we'll, we'll, you'll be able to tell the New Testament story, including Paul's three missionary journeys and where he went. And we're going to learn that. So I'd encourage you to come. I know some of you have to work and some of you aren't, aren't able to, but I'd love for you to come. It's a great, great time of just being in fellowship, eating together. But we're starting that up on Wednesday night, and it'd be great to be able to get back in the rhythm of doing that in life. So let's sing, and we'll be dismissed. Three in one.